API mocking is a technique used to simulate the behavior of an API without actually connecting to the real API. It is useful for various reasons, including testing, isolation, development, and cost reduction. By using API mocking, developers can test their code without relying on the availability of the real API, isolate the code being tested from the behavior of the API, work on their code even when the API is not yet available, and reduce the number of requests they make to the real API, thus saving money. WireMock is a flexible tool for building mock APIs and can operate as either a standalone server or as a managed service through WireMock Cloud. Tom Ackerhurst is the CTO and co-founder at WireMock, and he joins us today. This episode is hosted by Sean Falconer. Sean's been an academic founder and Googler. He has published works covering a wide range of topics from information visualization to quantum computing. Currently, Sean is head of developer relations and product marketing at Skyflow and host of the podcast Partiality Redacted, a podcast about privacy and security engineering. Great. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, So maybe we can start off with some basics. Can you... Introduce yourself. Who are you? You know, what's your background? How did you end up where you are today? Sure. So I'm Tom Akerst. I'm uh, a, a long-time uh, sort of software developer. Um, I worked sort of uh, for uh, in various kind of industries. Sometimes consulting. Sometimes kind of working in-house. At, you know, um, uh, usually non sort of non-tech companies doing tech, if that makes sense. Um, I, I'm also the creator of a, uh, a an open source tool called Wiremock, uh, which I've been working on since 2011. And um, more recently, I'm the uh, co-founder and CTO of, of uh, Wiremock, uh, the company, which is a, a, a new startup. Yeah, well, yeah, I noticed, uh, you know, I was kind of looking, um, you know, stalking you on LinkedIn. You've actually, you've been the founder of a, of a number of companies. Um, so you you kind of have a rich experience uh, across, you know, basically being a technical co-founder and now, you know, at WireMock, which we'll be talking a fair amount about today. So we're going to be talking about mock APIs and, and testing, but maybe before we dive into the details of, you know, mock API and, and gen- just generally, you know, mocking API, what are the challenges that you see in the market for engineers that are developing in an environment where, you know, they have lots of API dependencies? How do they go about sort of testing so many external APIs. So I, I suppose the certainly one of the biggest challenges is around um, sort of stability and, and reliability of, of uh, dev and test environments. Um, so uh, you know, particularly when you have a lot a lot of sort of third party APIs in your your dependency set, you know, things which are um, you know kind of built and managed by by an organization other than than yours, um, you you tend to find you've got this kind of assortment of sandboxes or sandbox modes in uh, in other people's software and so on like that that you have to contend with in your own uh, dev and test environments and uh, you know obviously there are some companies that invest a lot in in their developer experience and do these things very well um but uh there are also lots of cases where you you have to contend with kind of uh sandboxes that are you know broken half the time flaky you know they're sort of used as a uh, a place to deploy kind of not properly tested code, all sorts of stuff like that. And if you add all of this up, if you have a whole load of these that your your dev and test environments are dependent on, then the the likelihood in any given instant of uh, one of these things being broken is is very high. 
uh, and that has a sort of um, a corresponding negative impact on your your team's productivity. Um, so th- this is this is the big problem, really, is is, is how to kind of uh, construct environments where you your team can can keep shipping software, um, even when the um, you know the sandboxes or, or equivalent provided by your your API providers aren't perfect. Um, I guess the second challenge uh, that I'd, I'd draw attention to is just kind of control over um, the you know the behavior and the data and things like that that are in those those systems. You know, so if you if you want to uh, say you know test something involving kind of a large uh, a large volume of data, you know, say, say for argument's sake, you're you're integrated with a social network and you you want to test against a profile which has got um, lots and lots of connections or friends or whatever. Um, the the process of setting that profile up and getting it into the kind of shape that you need is uh, you know can be sort of prohibitively time consuming. If you've got to go and make sort of five hundred API calls or whatever to go and go and set this account up, then that that can be very difficult. Um, so uh, you know that that sort of thing can be challenging. Kind of getting the, those those environments into you know those sandboxes into a good state where you can test. And I suppose a final one related to that is the ability to. Um, reliably create sort of negative scenarios that the you know that, that wouldn't normally occur but you you want to test for because you know they'll happen at some point uh so you know faults and kind of you know unusual errors that kind of thing yeah so i think there's you know quite a bit to kind of unpack there so you mentioned this idea that um you know essentially some companies are not well equipped to essentially uh you know deal with this problem of all these third-party API dependencies, and that leads to uh, essentially poor test quality. And you mentioned also during your introduction that you had worked for a lot of, like doing tech in a lot of non-tech companies. So is that something that you think is more of a, an issue in sort of the non-tech companies that are doing tech or, and maybe like the you know more traditional technology companies are using more sophisticated approaches to this problem? Or do you think this is something that you know, regardless of whether you're a tech company or a non-tech company, it's something that is, uh, you know, essentially prevalent across the industries. I, I think it's pretty prevalent across across all sectors, sort of tech and non-tech. Um, I see plenty of evidence of, of Wiremock being used in uh, in tech companies, for instance, you know, so so it's, it's definitely there. Um, I, I think there's a, uh, there's been a particular sort of, over the last few years shift towards yeah you know, sort of non-tech companies doing digital transformations and you know trying to very quickly sort of migrate to a microservice architecture that kind of thing so i think there's maybe a a certain sort of mode of non-tech companies shifting into a um a, a, a space where they they suddenly have these problems very acutely um but certainly i think you know any any way you're doing any sort of networks you know service based architecture you're going to have these problems and i think people are going to be seeking solutions for them yeah and as we shift to more of like a microservice architecture then you're adding essentially probably a lot of internal api dependencies as well not just third-party api so i imagine that ends up compounding the overall problem is that right yeah absolutely and you know now you see um you know plenty of sort of companies and products that have this uh, they, they they have an abundance of both kinds of problems. You know, they have lots of sort of third party, uh, you know, sort of partner and uh, kind of supplier APIs that they integrate with. And they have, you know, dozens or even hundreds of internal APIs that they have to integrate with as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then in the, one of the other things you mentioned, I think it was the second problem, which was this idea that 
um, you know, if you're integrating, say, with a third-party API, and there's, you know, just a large payload, like I think the example you gave was around, uh, you know, some sort of social network profile. How do you go about, like, solving that problem? How can you, you know, test something like that in, um, in a way that's, you know, consistent and is going to be similar to what you might be actually experiencing in production? Well, the, 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 certainly the way you can do it using mocking is um, that you, 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 you're essentially just kind of constructing a request response pair that kind of has exactly the data that you, uh, that, that you want to have returned. And the, the benefit of mocking is because you're, you're not building a real, you know, a real API that has you know, business logic and a database and all that kind of stuff. You're kind of mimicking the output of, uh, of that real API. So you can, you know, literally just kind of, yeah, if you've got a blob of JSON, which has got sort of 500 um, connection kind of items in the, in the list, then you can just, you know, generate that blob of JSON or, you know, even type it straight into an editor and then just kind of include it in your, your mock API. So the, the work involved in getting to something that to the calling system, you know, looks exactly like the, the real thing returning 500 contacts is, is far lower than having to work with that actual system and get it to return that. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can back up for a second and um, and sort of define this idea of like a mock API. So, wh what does it actually mean to create a mock API, and and then how does that you know solve this API dependency problem? So yeah, mock is one of those words, or API mocking is one of those terms that's kind of become, I think, it started meaning lots lots of different things to lots of yeah to different people, um, kind of recently i think as as there's been an explosion of tools and and people kind of figuring out different ways of doing it i suppose the way i think of it is um you are building a, a you know sort of a mimic or a simulation of an api which is good enough to solve whatever testing problem you have at hand and i think that's a deliberately quite variable definition you know so in some cases you'll be doing something very small and context specific and not not attempting to do you know to 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 you know, completely replicate an API, whereas at the other end of the scale, you know, you might try and build, um, you know, sort of essentially a full simulation of a um, uh, of some other API. Um, certainly, within within Wiremock and lots of other sort of you know tools with similar similar designs, uh, essentially, you know, the, the essence of it is it, it boils down to um, defining, um, you know, when I receive a request that matches a certain pattern, I want to return a particular response. Um, and yeah, that's the sort of fundamental, these sort of request, request pattern to response kind of pairings that you, you define and you can, you know, have as many or as few of those as you need, as I say, so in, in, in the sort of, um, you know, sort of single unit test case, maybe you only need one, you know, you, you, you do, you know, one particular, uh, you, you model one particular kind of response in an API, you run the test and you throw it away again and, and that's the end of it. Whereas in something sort of richer and more complex, as I say, you may have hundreds of these things to, um, you know, through which you end up defining, a, you know, the entire API that you're mocking. So in this case where you're mocking APIs, especially, I imagine, with like third-party services, how do you make sure that you're, you maintain accuracy and you're simulating the behavior of the real API? Because I imagine like there could be something where, the third-party API, the paid load changes slightly without your knowledge, and uh, that could lead to essentially a test that passes, but in the real world actually breaks because of you know some sort of change that happened. Yeah, this is a great question because it's it's this is one of the the um, the sort of key objections or reservations that people have 
uh, when they, they're considering uh, adopting mocking as, a, as an approach. Um, there's a number of solutions to this now um, that you can you can employ. So I, I've seen some teams who will, uh, they just have a kind of a process that will record, um, you know, essentially, a, a, you know, take a recording of, of the real API and then store it as a mock that can then be sort of played back later for, for use in their tests. So because they're kind of, you know, regularly kind of pulling, you know, pulling a mock from the real thing, it remains accurate that way. Um, uh, we support in Wiremock Cloud. Um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but we'll we'll get to it. But you can import an open API specification. So if you're working um, in a, a sort of API design process in your organization that that uh, you, you know, produces open API or um, uses it as a uh, a sort of specification standard, then you can import it, and that will um, again kind of ensure that you know at least as long as your specification is accurate, then your your mock API will be up to date. Um, and there's sort of a, an emerging set of practices around consumer-driven contracts as well. I think I see the other uh, or contract testing more generally. Um, so the the Spring Frameworks contract testing framework will um, emit uh, Wiremock uh, mock APIs kind of as a an output of its process. You know, so as you're running um, contract tests with uh, with the Spring tool, then it will it will just produce your mocks for you while it's it's doing that. And again, because you're running these regularly against the real thing, and because you're you're doing a bunch of validation against that API kind of while you're doing it, um, it gives you this very high level of confidence that the the mock that you've kind of emitted at the end of it is uh, is true to the real thing. In the case where you're using like an open open API spec, are you able to not only make sure that essentially the like the schema of the payload is correct, but can you actually generate, you know, fake data uh, based on the open API spec that you can mock against? Yes. So, so we we do that in a couple of different ways. So we will sort of try we'll try and use your examples if you've got some in there as a preference. Um, but if uh, if you haven't provided any examples, then then we can generate them from the schema, provided the schema has you know has got some sort of fidelity to it and you know we try and make educated guesses about even if the schema is a bit vague if you say if, if a field name has got email in it then we'll generate you an email rather than just a random string that kind of thing um so yeah the, the short answer is yes mm -hmm. okay and then you know besides this problem that we're talking about where you could potentially run into a case where you know essentially what you're testing against is not true to the production system. And it sounds like there's you know, a number of different ways to handle that, but what are some of the other like challenges or limitations that someone who's using API mocks needs to be aware of? I think the thing that can be most surprising to newer users of it is the, the sort of statelessness of it. So, you know, with a real API that, that, that sort of read-write, you might often find that you, um, you know, you read some resource back. I mean, the, the example I always use for sort of demos and so on is the to-do list, you know, so you, you read the to-do list and it's got zero items in it. You post a, a new to-do item and then you read it a second time and it's got one item in it. And, uh, you know, real API, which is stateful and has business logic and all of that, you'd expect uh, to, you know, to essentially play back whatever data you posted to it kind of in the, in the previous call. Mocking, as I say, but by virtue of the fact that it's just this kind of stateless um, sort of matching of, of, of request patterns to responses, uh, by default sort of won't, you know, won't do that. It won't store your state and it won't sort of serve it back to you at the end. So you have to plan your testing activities a little bit more carefully around what state you, you need the, um, the mocked API to be in in order for, for the, the test case to work. Um, 
that you know there, there are there are sort of more advanced techniques you can use to to mitigate that to some extent so so Wiremock has this concept of scenarios which is essentially a finite state machine that will um simulate the sort of moving moving of uh, resource from one state to another so that um you can sort of loosely simulate that situation i talked about where you you've added something to the to-do list and then the next time you fetch it there's something in there mm-hmm. i see yeah and then are there situations where an engineering team might want to use a combination of you know, api mocks as well as like hitting an actual api during development for testing yeah absolutely i mean i would i would never advocate attempting to completely replace integration testing with mocking i think there's there's always a need to um you know to 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 uh, test across integration boundaries in software I, I don't think that requirement ever goes away um what mocking allows you to do is to sort of substan- substantially reduce your dependence on that you know and and reduce the um uh, you know, as I say, re- reduce the friction that 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 cre- you know creates on your team while while they're working, and usually limits the number of things that you you know the 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 range of problems that you you end up having to find during that integration testing to a sort of a much smaller finite set rather than kind of relying on it for for absolutely everything you do. Mm-hmm. And then, what is the like typical process for like incorporating API mock testing? into you know a deployment model or you know like a CICD or or you know how how do those systems typically work and integrate with like existing sort of um uh you know deployment models that teams might be using so there's a, a few different ways to do it um one is is kind of embedding um straight into unit tests so uh where you so if if you're a, a java developer because you know Wiremox server is java based you can just kind of drop an annotation into your JUnit test and it will start the server up in the background, do a load of configuration, so it's just kind of ready to go. And then you can uh, you can create your your mock API definition by you know programmatically, you know, via the API. So that's one way of doing it. There's some ways of doing it for non non Java. You know, you can start it up in Docker and kind of run it uh, kind of right next to your your app under test in Docker um, and test that way. And I suppose the the other major way is if you're um, testing in a more integrated fashion so if you're actually deploying into an environment and you want you want to test in the uh you know sort of in the environment that that's you know representative of what you'll ultimately be, be deploying to um you can deploy kind of running instances of your your mock apis within that environment and then um configure the the service or services that you're testing to kind of point to those mocks rather than you know where where they would be normally um, often that means just kind of changing f- configuration files so that the, the base URLs or domains or whatever point to your your mock APIs rather than you know whatever the real API domain would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, w- I want to talk more about you know the details around Wiremock and the engineering, but maybe before we get there, besides you know people using Wiremock or, or maybe other off-the-shelf products, is it our teams? Are, also doing sort of their own like solutions to this are they are they creating essentially their own you know mocking systems um rather than using something like wiremark yes certainly you see that some of the time um i think um there's a 
a sort of thought process that goes, well, I only need this for a couple of API calls, nothing, nothing fancy. So I'll just stand up a, you know, whatever, like micro um, web framework, I, it, you know, runs in my, my technology stack uh, and, you know, just hard code a couple of responses. And, you know, this, this works fine at first and then it kind of grows and gets more complicated and it starts being a piece of software that has to be maintained in its own right. And, um, you know, often at that point, people go, actually, hang on, we need to pivot to something which is attempting to do this properly rather than, you know, sort of endlessly maintaining this growing piece of software just for doing mocking. Yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, a lot of um, uh, engineering stories start that way where it's, oh, we we only need, you know, this. So we'll just build it ourselves. And then, uh, you know, fast forward six months, a year, suddenly they have like an need an entire team to just maintain this thing to keep up with. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's the same story that you hear in uh, in everything. And I think coupled with a little bit of engineering hubris as well, you know, that sense of like, oh, that's easy. I could build that in an afternoon. Right. Yeah, it's the secondary cost that people kind of forget about, which is the, the maintenance. And then, uh, you know, as these systems get adopted, just like the scale and robustness of it, and, and it, it becomes this thing that's like, you know, death by a thousand cuts, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, the, you know, there, there's the sort of the overhead associated with having something bespoke and having, you know, every time someone new joins your team, it's like, okay, if you want to write a new mock, this is how you have to do it. And it's, if it's kind of unique to you and your team, then it's, it's a, it's a learning curve. And it's not, it's not sort of reusable knowledge. Right? Um, yeah, you're you know, losing the, the that benefit of using open knowledge. source. Sorry, second. Oh, sorry, I, I was just saying that you're losing essentially, you know, someone's you're not taking advantage of someone's like prior experience because they're going and having to learn this new system each time. Yeah, exactly. And, and furthermore, they're probably going to, going to go, Oh, this is something else bespoke. I'm going to have to learn rather than some, um, transferable piece of knowledge I'm going to be able to take to my, my next role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been working on Wiremock, the open source project for, for quite a long time, over, over a decade now. So, you know, maybe, you can start with, you've touched on some of the features of it, but how, how is that project unique from maybe some of the other types of mocking systems that are out there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I think it's a sort of, it's a combination of things, I suppose. I mean, it's, uh, you know, first of all, we're, we're um, I think at this point, the only product on the market that is both a sort of an open source library and a, a you know, a fully hosted SaaS and where there's a there's a sort of migration path um, from from one to the other as your you know as your needs kind of develop and grow and so on like that. Um, there's uh, I, I think a few design choices about uh, about sort of why mock specifically maybe set it aside from some of the some of the other tools. So um, the the fact that everything within it can be done via its own API and its own API is both file based and HTTP based and Java based. And actually now we've adopted a Python SDK as well. Uh, it kind of gives you this flexibility in terms of how you want to work with it. And that the, the um, particularly the, the, the sort of possibilities for interop that I think the, um, you know, the, the, the sort of nice externalized kind of file format um, provided means that it's, um, uh, you know, people like working with it because they can they can generate that with other tools, and you know they can read that with other tools and do do other things with it. And it's it's uh, even though it's a you know runs on Java, it's kind of quite language agnostic by by virtue of being everything being integrated around this JSON format. Um, I think those those are probably the key points. I mean, it's it's quite sort of it's it, having been around for quite a long time. It's been contributed to by a lot of people. It's um, 
it solves a lot of those little sort of you know edge cases in terms of actually running these things and it's quite feature rich as well so the the matching system is quite rich there's a few things in the matching system that i don't think you can really do anywhere else uh, and likewise in the, the the templating system as well it's sort of quite quite sort of fully featured and solves a lot of those kind of niche cases that you don't you don't trip over straight away but you do after you know a few months or years of using it yeah so you meant so there's the open source version of wiremock that you started i believe in in 2011 and then now there's wiremock the company so is wiremock the company not only supporting i'm assuming the open source project but then you also have essentially uh, like a cloud hosted SaaS solution of Wiremock. And is that essentially what the, the company was formed to, to build and to go to market with? Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, the main product is, um, is Wiremock Cloud. Um, it was actually, there was a previous incarnation of it called MockLab, uh, which is still live, but we're just kind of migrating everybody across now. Um, and yeah, it's really, a, it's there to solve... Uh, you know, if you if you if you want to um, host your mocks somewhere and you don't really want to have to think about how to do that, it solves that for you. So all the sort of uh, hosting DNS, all of that sort of nuts and bolts kind of hosting stuff, it does for you. It provides a UI that that gives you this sort of you know, ability to edit mocks without having to um, get your head into either the, the you know the sort of scripting or the, the sort of JSON representations of everything. Um, there's a, it's a bunch of sort of interrupt with other formats. So you can import sort of swagger, open API postman, uh, and so on like that. And, um, you know, sort of a, a few other kind of affordances like that. It, it sort of, I, I guess the, the, the thing about having the UI there as well is it enables this kind of exploratory testing workflow that is, is kind of hard to do with a, um, a sort of headless open source library. You know, the, the, the way a lot of teams use it is, you know, they'll have a kind of running, they're running app and they're running mock API and they'll be able to just kind of cycle through a bunch of test cases by going in and, and making live changes to, to the mock, you know, hitting save, trying something else in the app. Um, so it gives you that sort of immediacy that you, you don't get when you're having to go through a kind of like change, you know, deploy, wait, then test something kind of cycle. Right. And, you know, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, where you know, there's teams that maybe they, they sort of DIY this because they don't think it's going to be that much effort. And then they, they end up, you know, like spending a bunch of time and resources, like maintaining a project that's not like core to whatever their product offering is. Well, the open source project is like a better, you know, they're able to offload essentially the challenge of, of uh, creating the, the software to using the open source, but it sounds like with Wiremock Cloud, then you're you're offloading even more of this in terms of you don't have to worry about you know standing up servers to run this and and sort of the maintainability and the scalability of how you use Wiremock. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, and uh, you, you know you mentioned scalability. I mean, the, we we uh, one of the things that it explicitly offers is um, uh, you know hosting, which is suitable for for load testing. You know, so so some of our customers use it for. Um, uh, you know, for, for performance testing, and we we provide them, a, you know, dedicated compute resources to that, so they they know that it will uh, it will just work, and they're not having to worry about um, sizing things themselves and performance tuning the the process and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can start with, uh, you know, if I was interested in using Wiremock, like what is the process to actually getting started with it? And let's we can talk about you know Wiremock Cloud or or the open source project, whichever sort of direction you want to take it. Sure. So Wiremock Cloud, you can sign up for free, um, and uh, you, you know, if you go to wiremock.io, um, there's uh, you know a start now for free button on there. If you if you click that, and you can sign in with your you know Google uh, 
Google account or GitHub account, and uh, you you're essentially straight in there. You have a, a sort of pre-built example mock API you can browse around with and and sort of kick the tires on. Um, and then once you're in there, there's a, there's, a, there's a few different things you can do. You can create stubs by hand by kind of just filling you know filling in the form. Uh, you can uh, import, uh, like I said, sort of your Postman collection or Open API. Um, you can uh, make a recording, so you 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 give it kind of a target URL for another API, and um, you know create some traffic through it, and uh, and it will record it. So there's a few few different ways to get into it. There, it's um it's it's uh, you know very very straightforward and kind of low friction to get into the into the cloud tool. Um, if you want to to get started with with uh, open source Wiremock, as I say, it kind of depends on on you know what uh, on your context and language stack, but the Simplest way, you know, if you're if you're in the sort of Java ecosystem, is you can just drop in our JUnit extension into your your test case. You know, it's literally kind of one annotation, and um, and then that you know that it will start everything up in the background and configure it for you. So it's just kind of ready to go, and you can work with it programmatically. And as I say, another approach is to uh, run the Docker, uh, you know, run the Docker image, and you know, just provide it with a file system full of these JSON files that that, that define your your stubs. Um, so there's kind of something for everybody, really, you know, depending on, you know, your language stack and your, you know, uh, whether you want something deployed in the cloud or running on your laptop. Mm -hmm. And it, what are some of the like more complicated scenarios that I can like testing scenarios that I can solve with Wiremock? So um, I'm trying to think of a really gnarly one. I mean, I guess a, a, a good one is you can you can test. Um, so let's say you have a. a in your the thing your your app that you're testing, you have like a an, a client which has got a, a like a a retry mechanism in it. So um, tries to make a, a request out to an API and something blows up, and so it will try again a couple of times before giving up. So mm -hmm. fairly common kind of resilience mechanism um, in you know modern uh, sort of service architectures. So if you want to write a, a um, uh, or even do an exploratory test to make sure that this this retry is actually working. You can use so the scenarios feature I mentioned earlier, the sort of state machine feature to 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 say, you know, the first time I hit this API endpoint, I want to get a 500 error. Second time I hit it, I want it to disconnect the socket. But then the third time, I want it to to succeed. And then you can test your app and say, well, if I've got a retry that says try three times before giving up, then you know I should I should get a reliable success at the end of that. So it's you know you you can. Um, uh, you, you can test cases, yeah, like a whole load of sort of negative uh, test cases like that. Um, what are some other interesting ones? So we have a um, an API template for a fully functioning OAuth two and OpenID Connect um, identity provider. In, it's actually sort of in the template library in Wiremot Cloud, so you can just kind of stand this up and use it, um, and that will. Um, uh, you know, essentially, you know, we'll, we'll simulate like a, you know, a Google login or a Facebook login or anything that supports that kind of Open ID Connect uh, login standard. Um, but it it does it all sort of statelessly and with smoke and mirrors. So you know, whatever email address you log in at the, with at the beginning, you kind of get it back at the end. And as far as your app's concerned, you've logged in with that email. But you don't actually have to have pre-created any, um, you know, any uh, user accounts or done any of that kind of stuff. And it's you know, it's a lot faster than than going around a real a real OAuth flow. So there's lots of other examples, but those are those are two good ones I think that spring to mind. Yeah, the 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 one with the OAuth is is really interesting, and I imagine it would save a lot of time. What about something like could you simulate like a race condition where 
the one API comes back slower than expected or out of order or something like that? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways you could you could do that potentially. There's, if you wanted a sort of, I guess, a deterministic uh, race condition, then you could set fixed delays on things sort of, so you could guarantee that you know, this one is always going to happen after this one. Um, alternatively, if you wanted to do a more sort of stochastic kind of test, you know, where you're um, you know, trying things lots of times and ensuring that some invariants are always, uh, are always the same, um, then you can, you can randomize the delays, you know, so you can say this, this, um, stub should return, you know, in yeah, between 100 milliseconds and 800 milliseconds, uh, you know, so you can randomize a load of them and that will obviously have the effect of meaning that they'll return in different orders if they're being uh, fetched concurrently. And you talked, you know, mentioned earlier, we touched on a scalability with, uh, and how Wiremock Cloud can, can scale. Can you talk, maybe dive into that a little bit deeper? Like, how does Wiremock go about handling, like, like a large number of API mocks or, or doing something like uh, load testing? So, so Wiremock Cloud um, has a sort of, a, a kind of multiple host model. So you, so it, so it has, um, uh, you know, it can have as, as many of these sort of host processes as uh, as you want to to set up attached to the kind of main controller, and then you can farm the APIs out to them and spread them out in a way that that makes sense. You know, both in terms of kind of location and the the size of the host and all that kind of thing. Um, right now, uh, you know, we we scale those hosts upwards, but um, we're, we're working on uh, also being able to scale the individual hosts horizontally. Um, so there's a, f- a few ways in which we achieve that. I mean, the the, the w- one of the benefits of mocking actually is it's it's really efficient. Um, it's but yeah, you know, because it's uh, just kind of pattern matching requests and returning uh, canned responses. You know, there's no calling of downstream APIs. There's no you know sort of database round trips, any of that kind of stuff. So the the actual sort of cost of serving an individual call is very very low, and uh, and that means you can you can get a lot of throughput from you know, from, from quite a small amount of sort of compute resources. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And then, um, what about, so so you've been working on the open source project for a long time, but the, what was sort of involved with moving that into the SaaS based solution? Like, was that, was that a tricky essentially migration of this open source project to essentially productionizing that or productizing that into a hosted solution? So it it kind of happened over over you know a fairly long period of time really. So so the the, the original so it's a, like I mentioned, MockLab was the original um, the original SaaS solution that I, I built, and I I kind of built it mostly as a sort of solo side in, endeavor initially, and I started working on that back in 2016, and um, sort of you know I, I I like I say I was self funding it at the time, so I didn't get this kind of big onslaught of uh, of customers and traffic immediately um i you know i put it out there and sort of started gently kind of marketing it initially through through the the open source site and i think that sort of gradual build up allowed me to uh you know to sort of iterate on it and you know get feedback from from customers and um and make it sort of more and more robust as as time went along and the i i think it was you know, a lot of you know there were a few years of sort of um en- you know tweaking the engineering in production uh, by the time we got to kind of pivoting to Wiremot Cloud, you know, so so Wiremot Cloud is sort of benefiting from that that um, you know that period, I guess. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you know it started. You you 
essentially like worked through gradually a lot of the challenges early with a side project. Then you're able to move faster, essentially, once you've started doing this as, as more of like a company initiative. What about you know, looking back on this history of working on this project, what, what are some of the biggest engineering challenges that you've had to overcome? I think um, the the sort of diversity of um, weird problems that people, you know, that your end users can can produce uh, when you're building a solution like this, you know, can be quite challenging. So I, um, you know, I found particularly with with customers who are doing performance, yeah, using um, uh, MockLab or WireMock Cloud for performance engineering, uh, the you know the sort of performance profiles that they that, that different organizations with their different requirements will generate you know can, can vary wildly and there are there have been a, a number of times when something in the monitoring has just gone crazy and I, i've you know been staring at it going you know what, what on earth are they doing with this um and it's been um it's been quite a um a good education in kind of uh in in, in uh you know uh server-side kind of performance engineering for me personally because you know there's been a lot of you know ad hoc profiling and sort of uh you know sort of panic um remediating of of you know these performance problems that i just didn't anticipate you know during uh you know when, when building things i mean i suppose to give a concrete example the matching system in in wiremock there's lots of different ways that you can match incoming requests you know you can you can do really simple stuff like just saying it's it's just the, the method and the url path that we care about and nothing else uh, which is very efficient, but you can also say, I want to compare these these two 500 node JSON documents for semantic equality with each other, and uh, and that sort of thing can get can get very expensive. And you'd find there are some organisations who built very complex APIs that that relied really heavily on these sort of big heavy uh, heavy match types, and yeah, the um, you know the cost of serving an individual request consequently consequently would just go through the roof. Um, so it was a mixture of, I mean, in those cases, I suppose a mixture of engineering and kind of coaching customers on how to, uh, how to build efficient mock APIs and, you know, not, not build ones that were going to degrade in performance, um, due to sort of overuse of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then can you also essentially test different like versions of, uh, the APIs, both internal and, and third party? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you can, you know, because you can mock um, any, um, you know, you're, you're, you're mimicking an, a, a, an API's behavior. Um, there's nothing to stop you kind of capturing multiple versions, uh, you know, running a mock uh, sort of ahead of, of, you know, what's in production, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I guess we, we may get to this slightly later, but the, the, there's a, a fairly, um, a, you know, sort of common pattern of usage that I see, which is about um, building the mock out ahead of, the you know the, the real api being implemented you know so if you you have you know version two is in production but you know version three has got all these extra features and you need them to build something in your app then you can you can mock them you know as, as soon as the the uh, the specification has been agreed with the producing team mm -hmm. um, yeah so then... are, are people using wire mock as a sort of uh lo-fi way to design an api so they can start with essentially with just a spec mock out like the responses and then actually use that to, uh, with real users or some subset of like tester users to get feedback and then iterate on that design. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we absolutely see that amongst some of our customers, you know, where you have a, a, a um, 
you know, sort of producing and consuming team or, you know, maybe uh, uh, several teams that have to come together and, and, you know, integrate around an API. And, uh, you know, in some cases they'll go into, you know, into a meeting room and rather than kind of whiteboarding the API design, they'll just throw it straight into, into Wiremot Cloud. And, uh, and that will become the kind of the, 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 the reference for the producing team to work from. But also it will mean the, the consuming team can immediately start building client code against it and validating that the, the design is kind of up to the job. Um, and the great thing about that is this sort of shortening of the feedback loop. You know, it means that the consuming team can say, hey, actually, there's a field missing or I can't work with the data in this format. Can we change it to this? Very early in the process, you know, before the producing team have kind of committed to, to implementing a particular design. Right. And that also helps with like, you know, generating the API references and helps the documentation team. So essentially everybody can be moving uh, immediately rather than kind of waiting for things to be fully implemented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a really, a really valuable thing to have, uh, you know, a, a real productivity sort of booster. If you, um, you have that kind of short feedback loop where you're, you're really um, putting an API design to the test, you know, by actually writing code against it. Because I think that, you know, there are certain, um, uh, you know, we've all done this, I'm sure, you know, you go into a room and you, uh, you you design an API and everyone goes, yeah, great, that looks like it's everything we need. And the second you go and sit down at your desk and write, the, you know, the first bit of client code for it, you go, no, actually, this is completely wrong. We need it to be this way instead. And what you don't want is to have to sit on your hands for, you know, for, for a couple of weeks. Um, well, even before you've got to that point, but while the, the producing team ships something and, and, you know, to then say, no, actually, this is completely wrong. Uh, you know, ideally, you want to iron out all those bugs in, you know, the first few hours or the first couple of days of your sprint, whatever you're doing. And by the time you've you've implemented the API fully, you've got this high level of confidence that it's really the one you need. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's tons of scenarios where things look great in an eng design doc or on a white a whiteboard somewhere. And then when it comes to actually like using it, that's kind of when things start to, you start to see the, the cracks in the seams to some degree. So, you know, what, what's next for, for Wiremock? What are some of the things that you're excited about? So, yeah, there's a whole, whole bunch of stuff really. Um, so right, right now we're working on, um, kind of a, uh, a, a chaos feature, I suppose you'd call it. So, um, the, the ability to produce kind of randomized, uh, errors, um, and it's just intended to make sort of injecting a little bit of chaos into your testing really simple. So you can just kind of switch it on, you know, turn the, the sort of failure rate up to a certain level and then and then just kind of see what happens. And it's it's building on features that Wiremock has, you know, has had for a while around being able to return faults of various kinds. But, um, yeah, just simplifies the process of, of randomizing it. So that should be that should be live, you know, sort of next week, maybe. Um, there's. Um, uh, a, a bigger thing that we're working on uh, as well, which is, um, I, I think, is, is uh, you know, has got the potential to be, uh, you know, hugely useful to teams doing this this stuff and really sort of put, pulling a thread through the whole kind of API lifecycle, which is um, we are, so we, we already accept open API as a kind of an input format, but where we're trying to get to is, is to, to essentially kind of close the loop. So be able to generate open API from, uh, mock APIs and also to to then validate um, in real time sort of the, the 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 mock against the the open API spec to detect any drift between the two, and what that enables us to do is is to you know generate a, a developer portal for for your 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 mock environment. So uh, you know your team have built a bunch of mock APIs, and then there's other people in your organization who need to consume them, and if there's just this kind of nicely 
uh, also generated portal to, that they they can use to access it, then it'll make it sort of ten times easier than having to go and go and ask you about it or whatever. Um, so that's one thing, and and also the, you know the other thing that this will enable is integration with API gateways and uh, design tools, and essentially you know all this this rich ecosystem of tools that that all integrate around the Open API spec. Um, so that's the the, the next uh, the next big thing that's coming up. Yeah, so it sounds like a, a lot of uh, you know exciting efficiency gains potentially for for users of of the WireMock. Is is there anything else that you want to share? Anything else the audience should know? I suppose uh, one thing that springs to mind is that I guess there's one use case we haven't talked about uh, all that much, which is that we, we're now also starting to see some of our customers do, which is a kind of we're, we're trying to find the right terminology for this at the moment, but I suppose we call it developer enablement. You know, so um, you know, you've uh, if you're an organisation who delivers APIs as part of your your product offering to um, you know to usually to people outside of your organisation, and you you you're um, you're trying to create a good developer experience for you know for those people. Um, what, what we're now seeing some of our customers doing is, is building mock APIs uh, and putting them behind their you know their own um, documentation portals, all of that kind of stuff. You know, so um, similar to what I was just talking about, but but sort of uh, you know the kind of public facing version. And by um, you know, by by doing that, so so uh, like I mentioned, sort of right at the beginning of our conversation, there are lots of organisations that will uh, will put sandboxes out there that are, um, you know, not working a lot of the time, or they're hard to configure in terms of data, or they're, um, you know, they're just they're unreliable and and hard for your customers to work with. And a, and a, a um uh, a good sandbox, I think, is a sort of linchpin to it to a good developer experience. So if that's what you're trying to achieve and and deliver to your customers, then um putting mock apis behind your um uh you know behind your api portal as a as, as the sandbox can you know can kind of ensure there's that that sort of reliable and consistent experience for your developers when they you know when they make their kind of first touch with your your apis right yeah and that also allows people to do some simple things like like the load testing that you mentioned or or do like the chaos testing of like hey we're just going to spit back a bunch of random errors and see how your system actually handles that because other than building out the mock APIs yourself for that, there that might be a hard thing to do even against the sandbox environment, even if it's well designed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's um uh it it, it enables a whole load of uh you know a whole load of um you know sort of uh discovery and testing activities for your, you know, the developers consuming your APIs that they you know they they'd struggle to to get access to otherwise. Yeah, and it's a shortcut for these businesses that want to create a great developer experience without having to, you know, essentially build out like really robust, fantastic sandbox environments. They can shortcut it by using this, you know, wiremark experience. Yeah, exactly. So awesome, uh, you know. Thanks for coming on, uh, Tom. It was, uh, you know, it was great. I think uh, there's probably you, you've been working on this problem for a long time, so it's it's clear that you have a very in-depth knowledge and, and experience in in mocking APIs and. Thanks for for coming on and sharing, you know, your years of experience working on this. And I, I think it was a great conversation. And I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. It was great, uh, great talking to you about it. Cheers. Cheers.